Hi, hey, and welcome to the Cordial Catholic Podcast, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, history of the Bible, of Christianity, the early church, up through the Reformation, and beyond. It was then in that deep dive I encountered the Catholic Church and began reading from actual Catholic sources and the words of actual Catholics. Go figure. It was then that I realized what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstanding. What did Catholics really believe? Well, that's the whole point and purpose of this show. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week we have a fantastic conversation with Dr. Randall Smith on the idea of death, dying, and the afterlife from a Catholic perspective. It's a fun, believe it or not, conversation about death. <laughs> Randall's a great guest, a convert himself, and, and a really enjoyable person to talk to. He has some great ideas. We cover all kinds of, of aspects of, of death and dying from different perspectives and all kinds of other uh, ideas waved and woven in there as well. It's a fantastic, wide-ranging, fascinating conversation. I think you're going to love it. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys help to keep this show going and growing week after week, and I have two new patrons to thank. Thank you, Edgar, for your support, and thank you, Nicole, for your generous support as well, joining our co-producers tier. Thanks so much, Nicole and Edgar, for your support. That helps the show to keep on going week after week, and you guys are an absolute blessing to, to me, to listeners, and to making this thing happened, so thank you. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Dr. Randall Smith on the Catholic Guide to Death, Dying, and the Afterlife. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. Welcome. Please hit the bell so you're notified when new videos come out and subscribe to our channel to get all this content week after week as we release it and keep in touch with the things that we're doing here. If you're listening on podcasts, thank you. Make sure you leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Those help to push the podcast out to new listeners and grow this thing that we're doing here and make it keep, keep going and growing. We're going to have an awesome conversation conversation uh, today. I am joined by Randall Smith. He is professor of theology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. He has a BA in chemistry, an MA in theology, an MMS, and a PhD in medieval studies and philosophy at the University of Notre Dame. And he's the author of a number of fine and fantastic books. And for our purposes here today, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body, out from Emmaus Road Publishing. Uh, Randall, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here and hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, agreeing to talk about uh, this book. <laughs> I hope you found it interesting in um, any number of ways. Um, but no, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, listen, I'll say this. It's, it's, it's very cordial of you to have me on, right? You are the cordial Catholic. Uh, uh, it's an aspirational title, I assure you. We'll see how this, how this <laughs> thing goes. My wife rolls her eyes when I tell her. 
when when anybody asks, oh, is this the yeah yeah yeah? Okay. Is he the Corville yeah. Catholic? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, he says he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I, I want to say this is a and this is a weird thing to say. This is a great book. It's a book about death, so it's weird to be a great book about right. death, I, I guess. But it's a fantastic book about a, a I don't know a, a morbid subject, uh, a strange subject, but it is a fantastic book. And I want to ask you first of all, Randall, where the idea for this book came from? Because it's a it's a weird idea. I don't think you wake up one day and say, "Oh, I read a book about death." I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. maybe you do, but where no, the idea I, come from for you? I do actually in the in the beginning of the in the book I think in the acknowledgments uh, I say uh, I'm the last person in the world to write a book like this um death uh, I, I mean I grew up in a culture that that largely wanted to ignore death and I'd prefer to ignore death. I mean, um, there are people who like cemeteries and don't have to, I'm not one of those people. It, the whole idea creeps me out. Um, and yeah, when you're, when you say, well, you're working on a book, what's it about? It's like, well, it's about death. <laughs> people are like, is everything okay? Are you working through something? No, no. Actually the, the truth of it, um, is that, I, it really started with the resurrection of the body. I'd been thinking about um, the the meaning and the importance of understanding the resurrection of the body for a long time. And so the issue of death came in actually under that. And so we were in the just entering into um, the COVID era and uh, I'd been percolating on this on this issue and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, Ooh, we're in COVID. Maybe there's a market for a book on, on like the afterlife, you know, anyway. and uh, I wow. had a break from something. And so I started, uh, but really the fundamental thing was I, I was thinking about the uh, importance of uh, the resurrection of the body. And actually in the beginning, it was like, why other views of Christ's uh, resurrection? You know, he just came back to life. He just been wounded, whatever. Why that wouldn't work, right? Why that wouldn't be a, a sufficient soteriology. Um, anyway, so it started there and then it sort of, you know, it sort of went out to other reflections about the nature of death and our views of death in the afterlife. So actually it, it really was resurrection of the body, number one. Um, anyway. <laughs> and a good time for a book on on that subject. I love. Yeah, no, and then again, I thought, well, now my people might be thinking about this. And then, of course, with publication, academic publishing takes a very long time, and so by the time the book is finished and ready and to the press, it's you know, COVID. <laughs> I don't know what I thought. Like, oh, we have fifteen days of you know shutdown. I thought, okay, well, I could you know, I'll get this out or something. That was pretty foolish, but I'm still happy I got yeah, the book done. Yeah. But well, it's it's fantastic. There's a lot to dig into here, and I think I want to begin. At, near the beginning because because you outline kind of two ways of approaching death right and this really is and if you think about it as you did in this book and it really got me thinking about this too we really do kind of go through life uh ignoring death trying to i, I don't know it, it's like this this mass kind of ignorance this mass we've, we've chosen as a society just to forget death ignore right. it just kind of right so there's there's that view and of course there's the view that that, that, that I think is is a very holy and ancient view to to live towards towards death to orient ourselves towards a more heavenly view and there's all kinds of views in between here. How do you kind of outline these perspectives on, on death as you as you begin the book? Well, yeah, as I say, there's a, there's a number of ways you could approach, and throughout yeah. history, people have approached death in a number of ways. One is is to 
uh, try to, uh, well, I, basically I say in our society, we, we kind of shove it away and we try to ignore it. This is not the traditional way. Most people had to face the death, the, the issue of death and the problem of death. Um, we in our society, you know, tend to sterilize the thing, put it away in a hospital room, try not to baby, you know, when people were, uh, 25 years old in most of the world, they, they would have experienced been in the presence of death, either of animals or relatives or in a war. Um, and they would have experienced a lot of death. We don't, thank God in a way, you know, experience as much death, like violent death by the same token that it, it, when you put it away in that way, it can really become alien frightening. I mean, there's something obviously going to be frightening about death. Um, but it's something that, uh, I think the ancient world had a wisdom about, which is to say that, uh, death is, this is strange to say, a part of life, right? I mean, it is an ineluctable part of life. And if you don't face up to that fact, you're ignoring a fundamental reality about life. And um, every other kind of way that you're trying to achieve human flourishing comes up against that fundamental issue. So it's worth thinking about. Now, you asked me a different question, though. You asked me, well, one way of dealing with it is simply to kind of say, well, uh, you know, just don't think about it. Um, why would it worry you? So the Epicurean way of thinking about it was to be like, well, nothing happens after death. There's no afterlife. And so the only thing which makes people frightened is the notion that they're going to be punished or there's going to be some pain or something like that. So the Epicureans thought, but that's just ridiculous. There's nothing. I suggest, mm, I'm not so sure that's the only thing people worry about when they think about death. Oblivion is not, you know, a, a happy um, idea for most people. Just that you end up, nothing, right? And everything you've done, everything you've strived for, the people you've met, the people you love, you just go into nothingness. Um, I don't think that's comforting for most people. Uh, the other possibilities, uh, one that I associate with Martin Heidegger, which is to live towards death. Of course, that's an interesting idea. But then the question is, you know, how do you do that without being morbid, right? And just sort of saying, well, life is cheap and, you know, we live a little bit. And then again, the, the meaningfulness of life gets lost, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, something that, that you that you write near the beginning of the book that just really struck me is this, uh, this is a, a, a misquote, a paraphrase of your work, but the, the, this Christian paradox that exists then for us as Christians, that our creatureliness it's overcome only by the cross. That that struck me, and I sat there for a few. I was having my oil changed actually, re reading your book for the first part. And I sent a picture on our, our social media accounts and got lots of likes. People were excited to have you come on the show and to hear this. And I said, you know, some light reading for during during the oil change. And I, I sat there where well, the guy's got his hands under the hood and he's doing his thing, and the car is shaking as they're draining the oil. <laughs> and the, and that just struck me that line right that there, there are creatureliness as human beings really is only overcome by the cross. And this is, of course, this really strange paradox. Right. Well, yeah. Wow. Can you flesh that out for the, the, for the, the listener a bit more? Because it's such an interesting, I think, idea to, to help ground who we are as humans and explain the human story. Right. And, you know, so the, the fundamental thing we're up against Right. In a way, I hate to say up against, I mean, but it's just the reality we face, we might put it that way, is precisely our creatureliness, right, that our and our limitations, the fact that we're uh, a creature, all right, means that we don't 
have our own, we don't produce our own existence. Our existence is a participation, right? It's something which is a gift, which is given to us. Now, this is why I think it's important. And I say in the book, I don't, we also don't want visions of death uh, and the afterlife, which cheapen human life or make human life meaningless. So there's a twofold challenge here, if I can take one step back. Namely, it seems for most people in history that without a notion of life after death, right, if nothing survives death, you know, our life in, in this world, then life seems meaningless, right? We, we struggle, we do all these things, and then in the end, nothing. On the other hand, you don't want a notion of life after death that makes this life meaningless in the sense that if heaven is so great, why don't we just get there? You know, like, why don't, you know, we just, again, people commit suicide and then, oh, then I'll just get somewhere. And the point is like, well, that makes life meaningless as well. The notion that your life is a gift given to you, right, by a loving creator, something you're a steward of, something you're responsible for, right, is, uh, it seems to me, very important here. And Again, the notion that, uh, but here, here's the problem, obviously, is that, you know, something has gone wrong in the system, we might say, and we die. And, and that death is a bleak horribleness um, that maybe wasn't always meant to be that way, right? I mean, it was always meant, it seems to me, that Adam had, a, had an end beyond merely his natural life, Um but it wouldn't necessarily have involved the kind of darkness and emptiness that we face. But this is a dark emptiness that we face, and there's no getting around that, it seems to me. And I don't want to soft sell it, and I don't want to over-romanticize it in any way, shape, or form. It's hard. Uh, as I say, I, again, I may not be the person to write about this because death creeps me out. But uh, I, th I think it is. It's a hard thing. And how does God then communicate to us that there is something important. There is a victory over death. And that, of course, for us is, is the revelation of the cross of Christ. Only when the creator embraces death and shows us that there's victory over it, do we know that, in fact, um, there's, that's a possibility for us. Again, people, I can understand why, why materialists would say, why would you think there's anything after this life? It doesn't make any sense. There's no scientific proof. And the only thing we can point to is the cross in a way, right? And the resurrection of Christ. Um, beyond that, you know, like, uh, is there messages from the afterworld, near-death experiences? Maybe, right? I think as Christians, we have uh, something, uh, you know, a better source of information, we might say, a more uh, sure source of information. And that's, again, that something that comes from our creator and that act of that sacrificial act of love and then the the uh, faithfulness of the father to the son in the resurrection. And I think especially, so for me, a lot of the audience of this show are, are non-Catholic Christians who are thinking about, who are trying to understand some of the, the Catholic views of things and understand how the Catholic mind works. And I know for me as a non-Catholic Christian for a large part of my life, the, the body death was kind of something we kind of, we kind of pushed aside in, in large measure. We didn't really... Uh, deal with the body, right? We were mm -hmm. we, we were much more think maybe thinking, uh, you know, thinking minds versus an actual corporal right. identity in Christ. There's a distinct shift in say Catholic theology 
in terms of how we understand the body and the resurrection of the body. I mean, we have we have saints encased in tombs all over the world, right? We have mm. we we have relics. We have very physical ways of understanding and interacting with death. That I think is is unique. And so, a listener to this show kind of goes, "Okay, uh, Doctor Smith, you're creeped out by death. Why, <laughs> right. why, why do you guys do such, such weird things with dead bodies? And and like, right. where does that fit in this idea of?" Of, of of living you know toward death, embracing death, embracing the afterlife, understanding the resurrection of, of the body. How does that weird piece fit in? Yeah, I'm just writing about this uh, um, for something else where I was uh, talking about. Uh, um, it's a forward to a book on uh, the gift of tongues. Anyway, and um, which is very interesting, actually. Yeah. But, uh, um, <laughs> But in any case, I was I was saying that this is part and parcel of becoming Catholic. And um, when I first became Catholic, just on this topic, uh, I had the uh, privilege and, and the great joy of going to Europe with with a class. Um, and this was so I spent my first Easter as a Catholic at Notre Dame in in Paris uh, with Cardinal Lustiger, you know, celebrating Mass. It was tremendous, whatever. But one of the things that uh, with you that made me uh, was sort of like creep me out was. Um, all the uh, and Catholics will, you know, say, "Oh yes, you know, converts." They um, were all the little uh, were relics, right? Pieces of body parts and pieces of body parts that um, just I just like, what is up with these people and their little pieces of body parts, right? And then sometimes there was this chapel I remember in Italy, uh, and my friend said, "Oh, you should, did you see the little little chapel in the back of the church? You should go back there." And I, and there was a you know, incorruptible or something. It was supposedly it was back there. I was totally creeped out and they were laughing and laughing. They thought that was so funny that, I, well, I just had to accept this as a um, sort of a cultural thing. Number one, the thing that actually cured me in a way was I went to the, the fabulous history of science museum in Florence and there in a two glass tube was the bony finger of Galileo. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is just a thing. Now, the only thing I can say about that, to come back to this, is that in some ways, right, I do think this thing they do, which I still think is a little odd, but it does, I think, the tombs or whatever, make them a bit more comfortable than I am, certainly, with death. Right? I think that people who, uh, like my wife, who's very comfortable walking through cemeteries and finds them interesting and, and reads the tombstones and stuff like that, is much more comfortable with the whole topic than, than I am. Right. I, I, I'm like, why are we walking through here? When I went to graduate school at Notre Dame, I had to walk by a cemetery um, every day, because I live just off campus, and there's this the Cedar Grove Cemetery. It's lovely. It's it's nice to me now. But at the time, I thought, well, how am I going to do this? Because like at late at night, I'd have to walk by. So I made a deal with them, the the cemetery, the people there. Anyway, I said, okay, here's the thing. I will say a prayer for you, right for the for the souls here. Um, every time I walk by the cemetery, I will say some hail marys and a glory be and, and our Father every time. I walk by and your agreement is you don't haunt me, right? You don't creep me out. And anyway, and that works. I did that every day for years. You know, I would walk by the cemetery. I still do that when I walk by the cemetery and they've been very faithful to me. And uh, I've, I've grown a lot more um, accustomed to them. And I actually have a couple of friends who are buried there now. My mentor, Ralph McInerney is buried there. And my dear friend, John Malone is buried there anyway. So um, I always have to say a prayer to them when I go by too, but um 
So, yeah. Anyway, being around it helps a bit. And, you know, growing up as we do with cemeteries, which are far away and the whole business of funerals is very odd. And you have funeral homes, which are nothing like a home. And it becomes very alien and very frightening, it seems to me. Um, And then you watch vampire movies and it it gets weirder. And I think we need to get around all that. Right. Um, We need to accustom ourselves more um, in the church and embrace it in various and sundry ways, in liturgy. Um, anyway, so it doesn't seem so strange and, and awful as it does to us now. Are you watching Twilight, Randall? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I was thinking of, not, not in any way. I, I, I mean, it's, it's okay. People can watch it, right? I'm judgmental. But uh, no, I, I, we don't watch um, that. I, I actually was thinking of vampire movies when I was a kid, you know, like there would there'd be mist. So not all these modern sort of yeah. sexualized ones, but just where the vampire yeah. was mean and nasty and, you know, would rise up out of the mists and stuff. Very 1960s yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and you just had to stab the vampire in the heart. So anyway, so it made me all very, uh, you know, uncomfortable <laughs> around um, all that uh, sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, again, when you're sort of a pagan uh, n- n- you know, Protestant, <laughs> to, to be fair, you know, the Protestantism, I was a pagan Protestant, you know, and then you see crucifixes and that's just something, again, spooky and whatever. And anyway. Well, that's, I, that's the thing. I, I, I have many stories to tell you, but I'll, maybe I'll skip them for now. But that's absolutely the thing. I think, I think a lot of people listening to this show, honestly, are going to uh, come from that kind of point of view, right? <laughs> I'm pagan Protestant. They're not, they're not going to like that very much, but I think that's that's got a good uh, ring to it. I think it's that's true, right? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to, again, I, I say that because I don't, I want to say, <laughs> like, not that all Protestants are pagans by any stretch of the imagination. I do think our default mode yeah. in general, whoever we are, Catholic Protestant, is kind of pagan. Yeah. We kind of think about God like pagans think about Zeus, right? Like he's a big guy up in the sky and he hits you with thunderbolts and he just, okay. I, that's what I, but also, I mean that when I, I grew up kind of Methodist, but I was generalized, probably, but I, I wasn't really like devoted Methodist or anything like that. So I just want to make that, I always say to people, did you convert for something? I was like, no, no, my parents had fallen away from any kind of church long before become very anti-church by the time I was a teenager. So I was really kind of nothing. And I said, so you were not in a, I said, well, I grew up kind of nominally Methodist. And I say, not that Methodists are nominal. If there's some very serious Methodists, I just wasn't one of them. Right. So just to be clear about that. Yeah, no, I take your point entirely. I think there's a strange, interesting shift though, going from say a very, you know, that the crucifix is kind of a weird thing. There's a, there's Jesus on the cross there. Like that, like we're, we're staring death in the face, right. As a Catholic looking at that every uh, you know, during every mass, and I think something that also shocked me as a, as a convert myself was the, the idea that right. First of all, so so relics that we have these things, but like the idea that in every altar there's a relic, right? Mm-hmm. So at the center of the celebration of life of the, of the Eucharist as a church, we have a, a a piece of of a dead person. Like that's how much more could you confront death? You <laughs> yeah, know, right. every Sunday, every Sunday than something like that, right? That's a really interesting posture to take. Like, what are we to make of that if somebody says, what's, why so death, like, you know, why is death central like that? What would you, how would you respond to a, a question like that? Because it is, I mean, it's right, it's, it's right there in the center of the, of the church. There's that piece of the altar, Yeah, right? let me say something uh, slightly different about that, but that's yeah. a very good point. It's the bodily resurrection. I mean, this is one of the things that uh, um, one finds uh, frequently, that 
the, you talk about the bodily resurrection and people sort of look at you like, what, what do you mean? You know? And I go, well, the, you know, the resurrection of the body and, and they think, yeah, well, Jesus. And they're like, no, 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 that Jesus is the first fruits of what we too will enjoy. There's a bodily resurrection. They're like, well, no, we just die and our spirit goes and we're angels. So it's like, no, that, that's, look, that may be true. It's just not what Christians hold. Do you know, every week in the creed, if you go to mass or any other, you know, Protestant church, and you say the creed, you talk about the resurrection of the body. They're like, oh yeah, we do say that. <laughs> what is that? And this is part of the problem, it seems to me, of uh, not having, and something I talk about in, in the book, not having churchyards anymore, right? And not understanding or respecting the idea of the resurrection of the body. This notion that somehow what happens after death is that you kind of shuck your body and this world and you go somewhere else, right? That again, I think the thing people I found fear the most about death is that they were abandoning the ones they love. They're losing the ones they love. I think the promise of the resurrection of the body, now it's a glorified body, but the promise there is that we don't lose the people we love and they don't lose us. That there's still a deep connection. Christ's resurrected body to me is the central revelation of what the afterlife is for Christians, right? There are other images of cities and et cetera, et cetera. And of course we know in art there's clouds and et cetera. That, those are artistic imagery. That's fine. But the thing that really reveals to us what the afterlife is, is the resurrected body of Christ, which reveals to us that we, we share that glory that's shared between the father and the son and the Holy spirit, but we retain our personal identity. It is still Jesus of Nazareth. People don't realize like, oh, so like the son of God goes back. No, it's the resurrection of Jesus, the man, and who is both man and God. So it's not like the drop of water returning to the ocean that just becomes one with, no, it's still Grandma Jones who still has those relationships with all this. But this is why people in Assisi can still pray, and all of us can pray, right, to St. Francis. As Christ is present to us all around the world, though when he was alive, he was only actually physically present, right, in what we call Palestine, Judea, et cetera, et cetera. Now he's present in his glorified body, physically present everywhere. He's not subject to those limitations. So St. Francis is still St. Francis, still connected, right, to us, still connected to Italy, I think, in very, very important ways, obviously, as your relatives are connected to you in important ways, but still, you know, can pray for everyone in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's that's like yeah. our, our loss of, of, of of that vision, right? I mean, again, we're yeah. sacramental people. And by that, I mean, you know, like embodied. Thus, we need these, these embodied expressions. That's why I think it's, it was very valuable and important. I mean, if you go to places where there is a churchyard around the church, this was an important thing. I, so I say this in the book, how do we deal with death? One way, it seems to me, is the liturgically, right? We're a church, all that business about death that's so odd should be taken care of in the church. And when I've experienced it in the church, it's been so much more consoling. When the viewing was in the church, when the rosary took place in the church, the prayers took place in the church. And 
I, I haven't experienced this, but it seems to me. And then when the burial is outside the church in a church, when I've experienced a churchyard, I thought, how comforting would this be to be going to daily mass or mass each Sunday, walking by the place where that's where my grandmother is buried. These are where my, you know, my father, my mother, you know, my child, you know, the, my husband, they're here. They're still with me, right? They're still present in important ways. They're buried right over there. You can visit them as opposed to having to drive, you know, two hours to some huge field somewhere where there's, you know, billions of people you don't know, et cetera, et cetera. It should be done within the church community. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fantastic point. I think my wife and I are the morbid ones, uh, Randall, because we were looking at, we, we recently moved to this this house we're in now, and one of the houses we looked at was backed on to a Catholic cemetery. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, let's, you know, I, that, that for me was a draw. You know, you're talking about right, being a, yeah. I said, yeah, let's go there. I can walk through it every day and I can pray for the people that are that are buried right. here. That'd be awesome, right? They may even, maybe they even come in our backyard and, you know, you know, the, the, the spirits from purgatory might come and the souls and, and ask for our prayers by haunting our backyard right. or something. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, an, an appeal for me. We didn't end up there, but the house we moved in, moved in here, a nice older Catholic gentleman died in this house. And I'm finding all these things he did when he lived in the house, weird electrical things and weird things, how he modified the house or things. And I thought, I thought, Pat, what were you thinking? Like, just wanted, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, just, just to come back, just to visit once in a while. So I could ask him some questions. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I totally understand the, the cemetery thing, even though, right, again, I have to admit, right, I mean, no saint here. I'm still creeped out by cemeteries. But I, with my little cemetery that I got to know, right, and and live with i became much more comfortable with it and and loved it and now make a special point of driving by it when i'm i'm coming around just so i can say a prayer for Ralph Macker and John Malone and his anyway and everybody there like hey guys i'm 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 back right like it's it's okay we're but um yeah when it's some strange uh thing it's it's harder. I think, well, at least for me, I, yeah, I don't know whether it is for everybody, but um, I think that the degree to which um, we made it more present, but again, present, not in a morbid way, but present in our lives liturgically in the light of the resurrection of the body um, and the communion of saints, we would be healthier society. And look, and if you do that with uh, tombs, uh, you do that with um, uh, relics, right? To 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 sort of face that again. That's culturally, I sort of realize. I think that's what's going on, right? Okay, then uh, you know we're still connected to these people, and they still exist. And this is the sadness of losing our faith in in the 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 Eucharist, right? As a real presence of Christ is if you can't believe that that Christ is really bodily present, as bodily present as he was to the 12, the 11, I'm sorry, you know, in the upper room when they touched him and when Thomas came and put his, you can't say, well, he's present, but not like that. Well, then you don't believe that your relatives are present. I mean, right. They're only in that kind of pious way people do in movies, kind of like, well, is mommy still alive now? And they go, well, he is here Right, as long as we remember, then he's present. Like, yeah, that's another way of saying he's not, right? 
And I actually think that's abusive in its way. Not the heart. I don't mean it's an intentionally abusive. But of course, you know, if you say, well, as long as we remember, well, that means if I'm not remembering, if I'm not keeping my mother in mind, she's dead. She's gone. I, how many, you know, how, how many days do I go when I don't think about my mother or my grandmother or something? And the point is like, so that they depend on me for their existence? No, I'm sorry. I don't think so. Their existence, it seems to me, is more potent and real, right? Or as real and more real than, than mine. That's the faith of the church. Then you can be connected to them. If they're just a dream, a ghost, like when Odysseus goes to the, to the underworld and he sees his mother, he tries to hug her. She goes, you know what? It won't work. It, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just a shade. There's nothing left of me. Okay. And that's just sad. That's just really tragic. Um, so again, the loss, people don't understand the loss of the understanding of the reality of Christ's bodily presence in the Eucharist means oftentimes then results in, okay, so yeah, your relatives have died. Do you really believe that they exist? Mm, you know, a little bit, I mean, kind of, don't they? And it's like, I believe that, right? But it's thin, right? Um, what most people are holding on to, which is sad uh, yeah. because I think they do exist. I think there is a communion of saints. I think C.S. Lewis is right when he thought his wife Joy died and that she was still a presence in his life, an important thing. Um, I think, you know, there are people, I think Ralph McInerney is still a very, very potent presence in my life in important ways. He's been dead since 2015, but um, let alone my parents and St. Francis and St. Thomas, et cetera, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've told a story before on the show a few times that, you know, I, I have a, a great devotion to, to Padre Pio. I love paranormal things, and he's a, he's a really freaky saint, right? Talk about yeah. like relics and weird things and, and weird rack miracles yeah. and stuff yeah there, there's a weird one for you yeah and i and i was amazing but weird yeah, amazing yeah. but weird yeah yeah <laughs> that, that, that's well put again for protestants like look if, if you're a protestant listening to this podcast <laughs> and you're like padre pio and and the stigmata weird yeah weird. trust me uh, like i'm a convert and i have tremendous respect for this in saint francis but yeah look i it's weird okay i get it every <laughs> catholic should go it's we're all pious and the point is like, yeah but admit it's weird okay it's quite frankly all the miracles like if you have a guy i had a friend who said, he admitted to me that, look, if I saw a guy with a withered hand and somebody came up and said, make that, and it all of a sudden became a full, healthy hand, she admitted to me, I think I would totally yeah. run away in terror. That's terrifying, right? It's like, oh my God, that is weird. So there's three reactions people have to the gospels in, and you should just admit this, right? One is they're terrified. Like they run away in absolute terror. Number two is they look at it and they go, oh, that's not only terrifying, we need to kill that person because that's power we don't want to have anything to do with. And the only third possibility is this is my Lord and my God, okay? And that's the minor, that's the minority of people. And we, I think that, just to be honest, if I lived in the ancient world, I, I worry that I would be in category one. Just like those people who would see the miracles and go, okay, that's just too weird, right? Because, <laughs> you, you know, you, I'm not a saint, right? I'm one of the weirdos who's on the corner like, wait a minute, this is strange. <laughs> and maybe after a while, you meet some people, you meet Peter, you meet Paul, and you're like, I guess this isn't crazy. Anyway, but it would have taken a while. So anyway, <laughs> I'm totally on board with people who are yeah. like, it takes them a while to kind of, oh, weird Catholic stuff. Like, yeah, I know, I know. It's okay. 
it gets better, right? Like it's not as weird as you think. Yeah, yeah. you get used to it. I think you just yeah. re- rewrote the Lewis's famous trilemma of you know liar, lunatic, or or Lord. Yeah. into crazy, kill him, or or, yeah. or we follow him. Yeah, <laughs> no, because you know, I think it's fair. Story. Yeah, because you know, like if you think this is a lunatic, but again, it's not only a lunatic. Lewis is right about that, but but it's it's a lunatic with power. Yeah. Like, like, oh my Lord, this guy can, you know, make people get up and walk and, and walk on water. And this is dangerous, right? If it, we came in the modern world, yeah, people would want to, you know, scientists would want to get him and put him on a table and, you know, dissect him and find out, you know, the, the crystals that are, you know, making him powerful. It just would be horrible. So thank God he lived at a time when. You know, that was all they could do is just put them up on a cross. Um, so thank God. No, thank you, Lord. I mean, I'm appreciative that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, not that I wouldn't want to meet my savior. Now, again, it's the thing. Look, if somebody says you want to meet your savior now, and the point is, yes, yeah, but I'm a little scared. I mean, okay. Do you want, it's like the second coming. What can you say when people go second coming and you're like, yes, yes, God returns. I'm a little, I'm maybe not ready. You know, maybe in a few days I could, you know. I need to get my, I have to confession first. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I have to think about what I've been doing the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, like, okay, you know. Oh, uh, make the bed or something. Yeah, no, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I got to get the house yeah, straight. Yeah. We got to clean uh, the entryway. It's totally messy. Uh, you know, can Jesus come back after yeah. we've had the cleaning lady come? Yeah. Uh, it's just silly, right? Those, anyway. are, my, those are my personal anxieties, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I'm in, I'm in therapy. I, yeah. You know, I, I was saying that I really uh, affirm your, ide- your idea of the community of the saints and how that for you resonates for me. And that does for me, too. And I, I was saying that you know one of my early experiences with with thinking these things through um, was with with Padre Pio, and if I ever doubted, if I ever do, do doubt in the future the idea that you know the saints are living in and amongst us in a, in a very real, tangible sense, I I once was was doubting myself and doubting this endeavor of the podcast, and I thought you know it was early on, and I had a few episodes in my belt, and I thought should I keep doing this or wasting my time with this thing? Is this is this worthwhile? <laughs> should I go out and do something else instead? Because I I love serving the church. I want to be. I want to. I want to do what I can to evangelize. But I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if this was the right route to go. Now, four years later, I think I think it was. But at the time, I had no idea. And I remember um, asking Padre Pio to pray for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, as a saint, saint that I love, one of those weird, weird saints. And I kid you not, I was doing dishes, and maybe like ten minutes later, I get an email on my phone. It's from this guy saying, "Hey, love your podcast. Uh, it's great stuff. This is awesome. Keep going. Keep doing it. It's, it's great." I mm-hmm. thought, oh, that's a nice affirmation. Maybe that's that's the answer to my to my my prayer. I should I should keep going. And I look at the end of the email, and it's signed by a guy called Nick, a good friend of mine now, Nick uh, Gaboni, who is the the CEO of the Padre Pio Center of North America. <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. And I almost I think I may have actually dropped my phone into the sink full of water as I was washing dishes. I got go to. I thought, give me a break, right? You know, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I exactly. asked for Padre Pio's prayers. Yeah. He sends his CEO to send me yeah. an email to answer the prayer. So, right. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I thought, how ridiculous. And I think, I think the point of that story, Randall, is that I think, you know, coming from, uh, um, uh, you know, a Pentecostal evangelical background, so we believed in all kinds of things in tongues, like I mentioned earlier, and these charismatic gifts. The, the veil for us was not too thick between the miracles and these kinds of supernatural right. things. But still, there was this impenetrable veil at, at death, right? Or to a point where mm-hmm. I remember asking my senior pastor at a family kind of Bible study night we had on, on Sunday night, a very more intimate group than a big Sunday morning, I asked him a question about the cloud of witnesses in, in Hebrews. 
And I said, what do we believe about this as Pentecostals? Because this seems to me like these people should be part of our lives, these, mm-hmm. these deceased Christians. What do we think about that? And I don't remember his actual answer, but I remember it being quite kind of brushed aside, like, well, we don't quite believe that. That's what other right. people, you know, we don't believe that as Pentecostals. And I thought, well, why? Right. right. And that was one of those little things that bothered me for a long time until I began to read about the Catholic Church and realized, wait a minute, there's this whole great larger world where de- where death is is not this impenetrable blackness, but that there's more of a a relational aspect with with the church triumphant, the church suffering, this right the, the people that have gone before us, and that to me felt a lot more natural, right, than than this view of death where there's just kind of this this veil that just closes until I die and can see my loved ones again, hopefully in in heaven if I'm Christian, right? But the the Catholic response or the Catholic view seemed a lot more natural to me, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Well, I think it, I, I hope it offers hope. Yeah. Um, uh, again, um, look, people die, you know, people sacrifice their lives for others. Um, and this, we consider this a, a noble thing. And I think it is a noble thing. Uh, but by the same token, the church has always had this, Martyrs do not just throw their lives away, right? Again, it's not a circumstance where you simply say, well, heaven is so great, so why don't I just get there, right? Life is an infinite value, all right? Uh, It doesn't mean you wouldn't hand it over, right, back to God if it's required of you. But I don't want to have a view of death in the afterlife, and this is sort of the point of the book, which in any way devalues this tremendous gift of life, right? And I don't want to, as I've mentioned before, um, downplay the existential um, sort of challenge we have at um, facing the darkness, the bleakness of death and possible oblivion. This is, a, this is and, and of course, all the kind of problems that come with aging. Um, that's in, in some ways why I wrote the book. Although, um, as I say in the book, look, the kinds of reflections I give in the book, I, I hope help people understand why the resurrection of the body give, should give us hope. And the understanding of the resurrection of the body and the communion of saints, um, what it really means, right? So that, that views like, oh, you know, you die and then you go to heaven and you get to see people, but then you're, it's like, it's like heaven is like Peoria or something, you know, like, so you die and, you know, you live in, in Houston and, and, and then you go to Peoria. And so then you get to see the people there. And if you're good, you get to go to Peoria, but you know, if you're bad, you end up in Cleveland anyway. And it's like, what if it's not that way? Right. I mean, what if it's, it's more like the risen body of Christ, right? I mean, that, um, there's a communion, but that communion of saints somehow isn't uh, so detached from this world. Again, Christ's risen body isn't detached from this world. He shows up, you know, around the world at every moment around the world in the Eucharist. Right? We believe he's sending his Holy Spirit among us at all times. So what that means is that those who've gone before us can be present with us, around us, and in us in an even more intimate way. And so that's why it makes sense to ask their prayers. I mean, I, when people ask me about the saints, you know, sometimes in the Protestants, I say, look, I, I had this problem too when I, when I was becoming a Catholic. Turned out it was not as big a deal. If you ask your grandmother to pray for you and they go, yeah, I, I do, you know, and I go, that, that makes sense, right? 
you know, God is there and God loves you, et cetera. But you still, you ask your grandmother, we're in this together. It's a communion. And they go, yeah. And I said, well, our belief is that even after death, your grandmother can still pray for you. She's still united to you in important ways in and through the risen body of Christ. And I think, and I hope that gives people hope. Um, it gives them an understanding that the kind of hope that people uh, think is there in either reincarnation or, you know, eternal life, you know, just extending life on and on and on. People in the ancient world thought about this. And uh, there are images of people who wish for um, eternal life and are given that gift by the gods. And it always turns out badly, yeah. right? Always turns out very, very badly. And so once you realize that, mm, you know, wishing for more and more and more just human life is not necessarily a smart thing. Um, the other thing, I, although it worries me, I mean, so I've asked students sometimes, do you want to live forever? And they oftentimes say something like this. You mean like this? And I said, well, I, I get, what do you mean? Like, I mean, I don't mean like sitting in this classroom. I mean, you know, living, living <laughs> life. And, and, and yeah, no, right. You know, like I get that, or, you know, I understand, you know, I'm not like God or anything, you know, so not even close. Okay. Anyway. And, uh, it was like, um, you mean like in this life and, and they say no. And this makes me feel good, but then worries me like, okay, I don't want you to commit suicide. I mean, I, I want you to value life, right? I don't want you to want death, but they, they all, I mean, in some ways there's a good thing. Like they have this sense that, yeah, this just isn't enough, right? Like I don't want to live forever just in this way, right? Where things are, there's pain and grief and wars and whatever, like, okay, that, that makes sense. But then you need a notion of the afterlife that's going to vivify you in what life you have now, right? And that's, again, where I think other notions of the afterlife that we see in other traditions or other philosophies just aren't cutting it, right? Um, and I talk about, like, and I don't talk about, you know, other religions so much, but I, I mean, I talk about like Cicero and Virgil and, you know, people in the ancient world, Homer. And um, I think it, you know, philosophically, we might say, you know, like, reasonably they if they thought seriously about their own view they would have to say to themselves yeah we just didn't we didn't know and the point is that that's understandable they didn't have the revelation of of christ how would we have any view of the afterlife that made any sense unless god told us something about it and revealed it yeah yeah uh, that's a good point one of the things that again struck me in this book that you, that you wrote in in is the idea that you know the, the christian view is not that we never die. That's not the promise of the Christian, uh, the idea of, of, of immortality, right? There, there are promises in, in the Bible that we'll live forever if we trust in Christ and, and hope right. in Christ, these things. But it's not that we won't die, right? That's a really interesting, I think, kind yeah, of... Yeah, there's a promise of eternal life, yeah, right? Yeah, But clearly, I mean, again, when you have to understand that when the scriptures are written, already all the early Christians are dead, Right. So when Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are writing the Gospels. Right. I mean, like all the 12. Uh, I mean, of course, Judas is whatever, you know, but uh, they're all dead <laughs> by this time. OK, so clearly they understand when they're writing down that Jesus says, oh, if you believe in me, you shall never die. It's kind of like, um, 
wasn't didn't what about you know dave he he's gone right like they can't they have to know that this is not they're not promising never dying in that sense right they know that something else is is going on um and then the question is well what what is what is the promise then what is the promise of eternal life it's not just that you live on in this body in this way on and on and on and on um like the uh you know as i as you one of the um examples um is the sibyl of kume which shows up in virgil's aeneid and some you know a number of things in the ancient world and she asked for eternal uh life um and unfortunately she forgot which she was granted right she was one of the um oracles of apollo and um unfortunately she forgot to ask for eternal youth and so she just got older and older and older. And so actually at the beginning of C.S., uh, I'm not C.S. Lewis, it's of T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, there's a line uh, from Petronius Satyricon of the Sibyl. And um, it says, Sib- uh, and the young boys would tease her and say, Sibyl, Sibyl, what do you want? And the Sibyl would reply, I want to die. Right. It's anyway, that's the beginning of the wasteland by T.S. Eliot. But this notion that she's gotten shriveled and shriveled, she's just hanging in a jar from the ceiling of the cave. Anyway, it always ends up ends up badly. And if you realize, yeah, I can't. Right. There can't be new life. Unless we die and that makes possible. Right. Think about it. if people never died. All right. The world would just get more and more and more and more populated and there would be no room for the young, right? There's a way in which it's just important that people get older and that people who are young see that and respect that and realize this is where I'm going, right? And then they show them something about that and then show them how to have a good death. And one way of having a good death seems to me is the community embraces them and doesn't reject them. We in the United States have decided that we're going to just sequester that and be like, go off somewhere by yourself and die and leave us alone. This is, I think is, is not only cruel to the people who are dying, it's damaging to us as a society and as a culture. And it's horrible for us as a church. Because at the heart of the gospel, as St. Paul understood, is the resurrection, the, the victory over death and be by the resurrection of the body. Yeah, That's what Paul talks about. I'm preaching the gospel. This is he's not got, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John yet. He's preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's the good news for him. Yeah. And yeah. that's the good news for us. Right. That's the thing that gives us hope. Yeah. If we don't have that, I don't know what we're doing, right? <laughs> now, I know you're not, you're not a bioethicist, uh, exactly, but you know one of the things that's a, a bit of a scourge up here, not a bit of a scourge, but a, a scourge up here in, in Canada, and of course around the world as well, is medical-assisted dying, right? And, right? and this is such a radically different way of, maybe it's not actually so modern, I mean, th- these kinds of things are, are also ancient, but this way of embracing death and allowing others to die. I mean, we had a case, of, of course, you know, people who are studying this and I have people on the show who, who have done this before and I know people in this field, we were all saying before this is a slippery slope and we were told, no, 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 it's not, it's, it's not, don't worry, there'll be restrictions yeah. in place and, and we'll make sure it's only those who are suffering that, well, we, you know, we just had in the news the other week somebody who was experiencing homelessness who wanted to die and was allowed to die. His doctor said, yep, that's okay. And yeah. he ended his own life because he couldn't pay his rent. 
Yeah. I mean, this is not a slippery slope. This is the slope has slipped. Like we're, yeah. we're we, we've lost the we've lost the yeah. plot. I mean, that's that's a crazy way of understanding and embracing and dealing with death. That I think the church is working out what we you know how we respond to this. But I mean, well, what, along with the along with the project which you get among many bioethicists, which is the sort of um, what uh, the great. Leon Cass calls the immortality project, you know, the live on and on and on. You at the same time get this thing where it's kind of like, well, and then we should kill ourselves. You know, it's like, okay, is no one seeing the problem here, right? Of, of thinking that you, you know, you can bring this under your control in certain ways, right? It just leads to this notion. And I talk about in the book where there were these two brothers in Belgium and, and they were twins and then they were going blind. And so they said, well, okay, we just want to, we want to die now because, you know, we don't want to go blind. Understandably, this is a very terrible thing. But again, you think, well, this isn't cheap in your life exactly. Right. Um, but anyway, but the one brother says to the other brother, um, as they're committing suicide, see you on the other side. And I thought the other side, what, what do you think is going on here, right? As though somehow like, you know, okay, we're, you know, like they've seen too many science fiction movies and, and you know, you go through into another dimension or something like, you know, it's like, I, I just don't, I don't think that's realistic. Um, but yeah, these uh, people who are sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of feeling off. So again, they, not to respect the gift of life. I mean, in the ancient world among pagans, it's kind of like, you, you, you're given this gift. Your life is from the gods, they thought, right? And I, they're onto something there. You can't just, you don't own it, right? You, you've, got, you've got to be responsible for it. In the same way, you're responsible for others. I don't know whether anybody in your audience has ever been around uh, somebody who did commit suicide. I mean, you know, like just out of depression or whatever. There's a hole there. That's, you know, I, I don't think the people who committed suicide understood the hole they're leaving, that their lives were so connected. And, you know, and that's what in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, when George Bailey, he, realizing the degree to which his life is so connected to others is the thing that keeps him from doing that horrible, selfish thing. I know it's a horrible thing to say to people, you know, like, why wouldn't commit suicide? It's my life. And the point is like, no, it's not. Not only is it God's life. You're connected deeply to, you know, a thousand other people. Again, that's the notion of the communion of saints. You're responsible for them in, in all sorts of ways. And they're responsible for you. Um, and that's the sadness of, the, of course, of the homeless thing is the degree to which, you know, these disposable people we've just tossed away who then go, well, if I'm just disposable, why don't you just throw me in the trash heap? And then, of course, we're willing to go, well, okay. Yeah. And that's just sad, right? And that's just tragic. That shouldn't be it shouldn't be happening, right? We shouldn't have people whose lives are so unattached that um, you know, they feel disposable and then we dispose of them. I mean, it's a fallen world, you know, there's a way in which that that is our lot, but you know, we should work against it in every way we can, especially as a church. You know, Again, I, I don't know what the church does other than to say that homeless person, why don't you just come here and you'll live with us for like a month and then we'll see whether you still want to commit suicide, right? You just come here, we, you live amongst us, we'll help feed you and clothe you and take care of you. And, you know, after a month, if you still want to commit suicide, you know, you, you can leave and, and we'll let you do whatever you want to do. But come here and just be with us. 
and 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 we'll see whether we can you know shower you with care in a certain way and love and see whether you still think life is worthless i i mean you know i don't know yeah yeah but it's, it, you know what can we say other than it's tragic yeah absolutely i want to round around off this discussion with talking about heaven for a little bit i i can think of a couple of things one of the things was i know i know when i was uh early on i became an evangelical christian at the age of say 13 or so in, in high school catholic much later in life but at that point for you, i was yeah. allergic at that point in my life to all the religious stuff yeah. so i have nothing but the greatest respect for people <laughs> all that guitar music and everything was like nope i am not so i only say this because for anybody who thinks, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I literally thought, I thought, well, Christianity, it's okay for some people. People who like guitar music and waterfalls and stuff. Religion, that's fine. I was like, but I don't want any of that stuff. So I rejected it. It was only later in life that I realized, oh, you could be Christian and not like guitar music and waterfalls and, you know, sitting around campfires and stuff like that. I, I like guitar music well enough now, but anyway, but then I thought, oh yeah, that Christian stuff, you know, teen, you know, life, uh, you know, Christ, yeah. something. No, 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 yeah. no, no. What do me. you have against waterfalls? Uh, you know, they're fine, but I was like, you know, like pictures and That's great. You know, anyway, all this sort of stuff, just, I was totally allergic to all that. That's why yeah. I became a kind of godless um, yeah, heathen I, in a way, because again, I would thought, Oh, Christians, some of my best friends are Christians, you know, like it's okay for them. And, uh, it's very sweet. I just don't like, you know, I like, you know, it. it's like, you know, some people like jazz yeah. and other people don't. And I was like, okh yeah, I, I don't like jazz and I'm not a Christian. <laughs> but, um, anyway, but then I realized later that, uh, so anyway, I, again, I have nothing but respect for people who did it and people who like tolerated it when they were 13. <laughs> Good for yeah, you. Yeah. Bravo. Well, there you anyway. Go. There you go. Yeah. I so you know I, and I did at that point the typical kind of evangelical thing was to just get a Bible and begin to read it and I remember you know with no kind of oh, compass wow. or, or guidance right and yeah. I remember encountering the idea in Scripture that in in the afterlife there's no there's no marriage or giving of marriage or these kinds of things oh, yeah. I remember thinking Randall I remember thinking oh I don't want that like I want to yeah. meet my wife and be married to her I don't want to die and and be separated from her. And I remember this kind of rational fear for a long time as a, a Christian of this idea of heaven being this severing of those relationships. And that kind of confused me. So there's, there's that one point. The other thing I want to say is it, it fascinates me lately. So I'm, I'm uh, in my day job, my real job, I'm an elementary school teacher teaching first and second grade, which mm -hmm. I love. And I'm and at a Catholic school and we, we, we pray before our meals, and I take prayer requests, and we pray as a class. And time and time again, these, the ideas these kids have are, are prayers for, for, for dead relatives, dead, mm. dead grandparents, dead aunts or uncles, dead pets in many cases. <laughs> right, right, and right. I think the, the cool thing about that is that, that that connection, the community of the saints there, the idea of heaven mm. for these, these Catholic kids— is so fluid that this person that I knew and has died now, or I didn't know, but mom knew, and, has died, mm -hmm. and mom's mentioned this person before to me, <laughs> I, I can still pray for them, and that's just totally normal. The same way I, I can pray for my dog who has who, who got a, bit, bit by a, a squirrel or something, right, mm -hmm. who's still alive. Like, there, there's not that separation between, between dead and alive for these kids. It's, it's, it's all the same. Heaven is just a place where this person who's alive is, is living, living elsewhere. There's, and then of course there's the idea of the beatific vision, right? Of this, of this finally seeing, understanding all the pieces of the puzzle and how things fit together, and and the the divine plan. There are all these ideas about heaven. What what are we to make, or, or focus on, or, or or live towards? Do you think 
as as a Catholic Christian, looking, you know, working working towards death. I, I don't know, thinking about death, walking towards death. Yeah. Well, it's funny about this issue about because uh, there was just an article in the in the New Oxford Review actually, and somebody asked me to to, to comment on it. And I'd actually written an article on on this issue about um, Christ's and people are not given and taken in marriage and, and, and stuff like that. So I sent an article. But I think anyway, um, and, and this guy is married and he's like, no, I don't think this is what this means. I think I'll be united with my wife. And stuff. But there, I'm sure there are other people who think the scriptures mean something else. And that's fine. I only remember that here. I have some, I have something else to say about that. But um uh, my mentor, Ralph McInerney, who's a professor of philosophy at Notre Dame, used to say, yes, I know there, sure, there are people, theologians tell us there'd be no uh, marriage in heaven, but we romantics know better. Anyway, that was his only comment about this. You know, this is his, you know, like, okay. And um, here's what I say about that. And it's sort of related. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the scripture thing because it's, it's, it's complicated and I don't want to oversimplify it. Right. And I don't want to like make people have a different view, feel like, Oh, he doesn't know the scripture. It, it's fine, right? This is this is a big issue. Um, here's here's what I tend to say to people about, for example, to use a different example, dogs, right? Like they're like, I don't want to go to heaven if um, Fluffles isn't going to be there, or something, right? Right? Like I don't want to go to heaven if there's not going to be trees or something. And, and here's my here's my response to that, right? C.S. Lewis was was a big deal, like you know, what a, a heaven for for dogs and and stuff. He was very serious about this. And um, that part of, uh, you know, his, his corpus, I've always found a little funny. But here's what, I, here's what I say to people about that. Look, there is nothing good that you experience in this life that is missing from God, who is the source of all goodness. Again, our tendency is to be pagan. We're thinking of God like he's Zeus on Olympus. God is the creator of of all being and all goodness. Thus, when you're united to God, as the son is united to the father and you enjoy that be, so when you're united to God, the creator, right? Who's the source of all being and existence, there is nothing good that you have experienced that would be absent. How, right, Fluffles or, you know, whatever it is, Sam, your dog, Gizmo will be present in whatever way, in the most perfect way, right? Whatever there is of goodness there will be present in God. It's not like you get to heaven and it's like God hasn't thought of taco stands or something, <laughs> right? God's up there and he's like, taco stands. God, I never thought of that. Why didn't we have taco stands? Why do we, it's like, no, 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 no. God, there's nothing good God hasn't thought of because there's nothing good that doesn't pre-exist in God. All right, so your wife, your dog, you know, the, the everything you love that was good, okay, exists in God, all right? That's what I would say about that. The, the scripture passage, I, I, okay, I get slightly complicated. I would still say, however you want to interpret that scripture passage, right, everything good you have here exists in God. Nothing's missing in the sense that you don't get to heaven and you go, I, I like heaven, just, you know, no good salsa here, right? Like, <laughs> it's not going to be that way, okay? Right? There's nothing good here. There's nothing better here than is missing in God, all right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the faith you got to have. And if you hold on to that, all the rest of it is like, okay, then then we're fine, right? Like, 
nothing's going to be missing. How I'm united with my spouse and how I'm united with the people who live after me here. Uh, look, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I, I haven't personal experience. I haven't traveled around in a bus in heaven like C.S. Lewis does in, in The Great Divorce. So I, I can't tell you. I only have this faith that that's what, you know, the risen body of Christ, that's the, what the revelation is trying to tell us. That's and the communion of saints. All right. That's fantastic. So that, yeah. I hope that's reassuring in some way. Um, but, you know, there you go. Right. So if you feel like yeah, I'm united to my wife and I, I, I want to make sure that I'm united. The point is, yes, it, it's fine. Yeah. Fluffles and taco stands. That sounds fantastic. They're, yeah. They're all there. OK. <laughs> Nothing good is missing. All right. I, that's all I would say. I, Fluffles is a weird name for a dog, though. I know it's, uh, that's I use that name precisely because I don't think anybody's actual dog is named Fluffles. It's the most ridiculous dog name I can think of. And then if somebody says, but my dog, I mean, I, someday I know some students going to say, I know you think that's ridiculous, but that's my dog's <laughs> name. And I'm going to say, I'm so sorry. I've been making fun of your dog for years and years, and I'm very sorry. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Randall, this has been a really fantastic conversation. Uh, fun, which is weird for a topic like, like this. But... Yeah, I know, really. We were talking about death, and, and already I've, from the very beginning, I started to have fun. I was like, you know, I'm creeped out, so maybe I have to have some fun. To, yeah. Anyway, no, it was really, it was fun. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Where do you want to point uh, listeners? The book is out from Emmaus Road Publishing. I don't know if there's places you want to point them towards to find uh, more of your stuff or to follow you or anything like that. Where do you, where, <laughs> where should they, you're laughing? So probably not. You... Yeah, no, no, no. There, I, I do have a website, although I don't update it all the time. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, I publish regularly on the Catholic thing. And if you haven't experienced the Catholic thing, um, I'm not the only writer on the Catholic thing, but it's, it's, it's good. And so I show up there every other week. Um, with something, some little thing. The nice thing about the Catholic thing, by the way, um, when I first started writing, it was um, a little frustrating. Robert Royal, who's the editor, said uh, not a word over a thousand words. And here's what he said. He said, if people can't read this in five minutes over breakfast, they won't read it. And uh, my wife was the one who said to me, I think he's right about that. And I would be like, oh, come on. And anyway, I think he is right about that. So like, it's short, it's nice. But also they could go to Amazon if they, they're interested in this and um, they could get the book on Amazon, right? Uh, Amazon was out of stock for a little bit, but it looks like they're back in stock now. And um, you can always go to the author page and I do have uh, several other books. They're more academic books, right? I, I am a... a, a you know, a college professor. I have nothing but the deepest respect for elementary school teachers. I love teaching. I taught high school and middle school for a while, but elementary is the one I think, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Anyway, I love teaching. I love to anyway, but they could go there and I, these are academic books. I have a book on the sermons of Aquinas and I have a book on uh, the scholastic culture of the middle ages. Um, and then I have this book and I have some other books that are going to be coming anyway, but yeah, the Catholic, I mean, they want to see stuff that's more popular. The Catholic thing is a good place to find me every other week. That sounds great. I'll put links to all, all right. those places in the show notes too. Uh, yeah. Thank Randall. you. That's very kind. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks for being here. This was a lot of fun. Uh, th thanks for your time. I want to say God bless you and the fantastic work you're doing for the church. Thank you. And uh, thanks for being here this week with us. No, just keep me in your, I always say this to be actually, um, the great father, James Shaw, who is, a, a, you know, a great uh, writer and wrote for the Catholic thing and, and other, other places. 
um, who taught at Georgetown for many years, a Jesuit, he said, he would say, whenever he would left people, he would say, pray for me and I'll pray for you. And so anyway, I always ask people, because I really do think that it's sort of like the community of saints. I really do think it's important. I always say to people with they write me or whatever, I go, thank you very much for your kind note. Please pray for me. And I'm not just saying that as a, like a, you know, well, sincerely, I really, it's like, no, no, no. I really need you to pray for me. So anyway, I'd be very grateful if like everybody who's in the podcast, like it's like, oh, that was fun. You're like, you're gonna, it's like, okay, thank you. Now go pray for me because <laughs> I really need it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not anything like a saint. And um, so, yeah, I'm in constant need of prayer. You mean even, if, even if I you watch this and I'm dead, I still would need prayer. Okay. Right. That's all I can tell you about that. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> so thank you. No, and thank you for doing this. And, and, and yeah, please say, please keep me in your prayers. Oh, thank you very much. We will do that too. Thank you. All right. Take care. I love when I say guests they have a website or a place to share it and they just kind of on camera roll their eyes and go, yeah, not really. It's never updated. That's often the case. I think that's a pretty funny thing to happen. Authors, theologians, writers get a website and never update it. That seems to be the, the way it goes. And I don't think ours actually is very up to date either, come to think of it. Is that thecordialcatholic.com for, well, I don't know, up to date show notes, I, I think, and I hope. We're on Instagram, uh, TikTok, and on Twitter at Cordial Catholic. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and your feedback can come to cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I love to hear from you guys where you're listening from, why you're listening, who you are, and your thoughts on the show. That feedback helps to keep this thing uh, on its toes, helps me to keep uh, producing things you want to hear and, and really th- that feedback is so important to the, the, the whole thing of the show <laughs> so, so thank you friends if you want to help to support this show head over to patreon.com slash cordial catholic or paypal.me slash cordial catholic for ways you can do that help this thing keep going and keep growing week after week this mission is so important I think for, for me it is for our family it is and I think God wants us to keep going so if you want to be part of that mission please think about how you could support this show those links are in the show notes we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash Catholic to watch what you are listening to if you are interested in that. And please do leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Those help to push the podcast out to new people and expand the, the listenership of this thing and keep this mission going, really. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Please do pray for me. I'm praying for you week after week. Talk to you again next time. Thanks so much, friends. You guys are the best. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Calvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.